0: Welcome back to the Wise Athletes Podcast. Today, I am joined by Chris Pedden, a strength and conditioning coach based in the UK who works with champion elite cyclists and with masters athletes like you and me. Chris is a cyclist himself and knows the love of cycling, and he understands how to use strength training to improve the endurance of his athletes. Chris says, for the cyclist, riding the bike should always be the main priority, but strength training will improve cycling performance if it's done right. So listen in as Chris shares his tips on how to train hard enough, but not too much, how to be safe. How long can you go between strength training sessions and the big question, how can we get those big glutes pumping out that big power we've been hearing about? All right, let's talk to Chris. Chris Pedden, welcome to the wise athletes podcast.
1: Oh, Thank you. Thanks for having me. It's great to be here.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I appreciate you taking some time to join us. Uh, you are a strength and conditioning coach who works with cyclists, yes? I
1: am, yeah, yeah. I've got a wide, wide range of people, including obviously, but most, most of my work is with, is with cyclists.
0: Excellent. Yeah. And, uh, I, you know, what I've uh, read about you is that um, in addition to working with um, master cyclists, you work with some elite cyclists as well. Is that right?
1: Yeah, so I've got... Um, Women's professionals, um, junior world champions, um, and a few handful of under twenty-three male and female uh, professionals as well. So great, yeah, quite a bit of a, a range of of athletes.
0: <laughs> I'm going to take that to mean that you can help people who are cyclists become better cyclists, and that's what we want to know about here. Uh, although I think just in general we're talking about the older endurance athlete, and that might include running and swimming as well as cycling. Uh, Myself, I focus on cycling. What do you think, at a high level, because we've we've got a a lot to go through here in a short amount of time, what would you say are the main benefits to to a cyclist, and maybe even to the older cyclist, the master's cyclist, for engaging in strength training as a part of their regular routine?
1: I mean, overall, improved endurance, no matter what. It's going to give an an, an overall all round factor in terms of uh, improved power in delayed fatigue on the bike, which is going to be a huge one. Yeah, for masters athletes in particular, we unfortunately, as we age, we 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 lose muscle. So we're going to retain, we're going to be able to retain muscle more, but we lose power faster than we lose strength. So what we tend to find, the older we get. Our our endurance levels stay. We're great. We just become this huge diesel engine. Yeah. But we lose that snap. We lose that ability to get on top of the pedals quicker. And you know, we obviously our sprint power diminishes. The ability to ride up hills a bit quicker diminishes because we, the fibres that we that we unfortunately lose as we age are more of those type two fast twitch fibres. So, yeah. so as a masters athlete. Um, it's more important, therefore, that we can help retain some of those because strength training is going to um, help do that. And then off the bike, I think just longevity, that independency, if we can retain muscle, we can retain our balance off the bike, and we're not going to be a little bit um, you know, I think accidents happen as we get older because we lose balance, we lose that strength in the legs, we lose that balance and we unfortunately fall over. and I think it's just lending itself to the bone health, the retention of muscle and a better quality of life all around as we age.
0: Great. And at the same time, you must think and have some way you can share with us to be able to incorporate this strength training into our workout routine so that we can keep riding our bike or doing our runs. That is the thing that we're most interested in. We don't have to trade off having fun just so that we can get these Incremental benefits—is that right?
1: No, but hundred percent. Yeah, I think it's. um, I think it's probably one of those biggest misconceptions. If we, you know, especially, I I think across all all ages, really, not just in in massive athletes, but it's, and and especially if we're kind of time crunched, you know, we're 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 not all um, as fortunate, you know, that we can ride our bikes all day long or run whatever it may be. So we we sometimes fear thinking that. Well, if I, whatever spare time I do have, it must only be riding, running, or or swimming, or whatever it may be. Yeah. And not really, truly taking into account or understanding the benefits that we can get to being a better endurance athlete by just sacrificing 30 to 60 minutes, even if it's once a week, to incorporate some um, cross training, you know, and doing some resistance training and how that will then benefit their endurance performance. Because we just think, well, to, you know, no one's saying that, no, or no one has ever said to not ride or to not run because we, you know, yeah. that has to be the primary base of what we do. But equally trying to squeeze in that extra hour here or there, which could have been probably fitted in better with some resistance training, will actually make you a better athlete. And, that's, and it's, it's a tough sell. But I think those that um, once you get some buy-in from someone and you can see in the they start noticing those benefits are like holy crap yeah okay I'm riding better I feel better I feel stronger this is you know it's having um, a positive effect you know further down the line
0: excellent and probably the trick is that when you when a person who's not been strength training starts it really whacks them. They really get tired. It really affects their ability to ride and yes. they think, Oh, this is not going to work. But what they, if they stay with it, they'll find that their body will get used to Just, that and they can retain those benefits without feeling so bad.
1: Mm, is that right? No, 100%. And I think that's probably why a lot of people either dip the toes in and out all the time or the, or if, or when they have done it, they've probably done too much right from the beginning. Yeah, absolutely crippled themselves. You know, the, the, the legs are smoked and, you know, you do feel – and you do, and you do feel terrible. But it's the same as any other stimulus. You know, if you ride 100K for the first time, your legs are tired the next day. You're like, there's no way you want to go and ride 100K again. Or if you take on a new block of intervals, your legs are sore because it's a brand-new stimulus. But over time, the more you do it, the more you get accustomed to it, your legs are sore. And it's, and it's exactly – it is exactly the same with strength training. The more you do it, the yep. more your body gets accustomed to it. It gets used to that stress, um, you know. And over time, it, it doesn't become as fatiguing, it, you know, let, on the legs to be able to then go and ride again, either on the same day or the next day.
0: Right. Yeah, I think that's an important tip for people to remember. That is easy to miss uh, mm-hmm. at the beginning. Uh, well, good. So. Um, Glad uh, that I have you here on the podcast. I'm sure you're going to be able to help us out. I I wanted to, you know, if we, if we only had 400 hours, we could get all of your knowledge here on, <laughs> on the recording here. But, you know, we've only got a little bit of time. And so yeah. I wanted to focus on one thing in particular, which really seems to be central to uh, strength for cyclists yep. and something that cyclists sort of... Are notorious for being bad at, and that mm. is using their glutes. Mm. The glute being the biggest muscle on your body that yeah, you yeah. ought to get a ton of power out of. And if you aren't, well, that's just the lowest hanging fruit that, <laughs> that you have for being a stronger cyclist. Mm. So I really do want to take a deep dive in there and get your advice on how can, you know, why how can people do it? How can they get a little better at uh, at using that big giant muscle other than just for sitting on it? Yeah. Uh, but before we dive into that, if you don't mind, I, I actually have some questions that I'm interested in just personally. Not as uh, cool yet. You know, I've, I've been lifting weights off and on since I was in high school. Um, and so maybe I'm odd as far as cyclists go. I like lifting weights. Mm. I do have some, I guess, learned instincts in lifting weights that are improper, meaning that, you know. My, when I was in high school, what I wanted to do was be a bodybuilder. I wanted to be Arnold Schwarzenegger, and so you know I was always smoking myself. You yeah, know yeah. I was always going to total failure yeah. and being, you know, and even at you know at seventeen I was exhausted and sore and <laughs> and you know having a hard time recovering. And yeah, so yeah. when I it, when I lift too hard now, it really is a mistake. Ooh. Um, and so, uh, but anyway, and there are some other things that I, I think are would be useful just to get your thoughts on, and and I think people will benefit from it. And then we'll dive, take a deep dive into the glutes. Does that sound all right? No, no, that's cool, yeah. Cool. Well, let's just start then. Uh, the first question then related to strength training is minimum effective dose. And so yeah. for people who maybe don't know what that means is, we're talking about what is the... I mean that's not necessarily a single data point but it's yes. it's sort of a range that says if you did less than that it wouldn't do you any good if you did more than that it would it would injure you you would need so much recovery that you would lose some of the benefit of the work yes, trying to yes. get your recovery so it's this sort of useful range mm. of how, how much work do you need and and the hope is that even for the master's athlete, you don't have to be sore. You don't have to be tired all the time. You, um, But at the same time, what would be enough so that you're actually getting some benefit out of it? Can you talk about minimum effective dose?
1: No, no. I mean, you're right there. I mean, it, it's, you know, endurance athletes are not just like, you know, it's, we haven't got, the aim isn't to be strength training three, four, five times a week, like a general kind of exercise exerciser would be or a bodybuilder or whatever it, whatever it may be. You know, we have got limited time. So we want to get the most out of the least, essentially. And I think the trap that people fall into and why they feel so tired or fatigued or that the muscles are, you know, absolutely smoked from training is, is that they, they tend to try and, because of the limited training time, they then try and fill in all the gaps. So they try and do everything at once because it's like, well, if I'm not training four or five days a week in the gym, I must try and do everything all at once and try you know, and and naturally you would be sore as hell, you know, because of that. But so mostly I tend to not program for people any more than three lower body exercises, but it's not uncommon for the plans I've seen across the years. Um, where cyclists will have four five six all lower body exercises because the following plans that they may have got from the internet or we know that bodybuilders as you know as you alluded to like your background and how you got into strength training is what did they do they did five six you know whatever it may be exercises all at once just all lower body and i think cyclists get fall into that trap or endurance, probably endurance athletes in general as well um that Okay, well it's a lower body dominant sport. I just must focus on the legs. So they will yeah. try and do too much on their legs. And I think once you've done a good warm-up, and some of those movements in the warm-up are going to be sort of lower body quote unquote exercises, you know, yeah. you know, to get them like to get them prepared for what would be the main body of the workout. And then the way I like to structure it is go, okay, like exercise number one on the, the main body of the workout will be a quad-focused exercise. So it's going to be a very knee-dominant, kind of like a, like a squat pattern movement. Um, and then the second exercise to balance that and, and to um, yeah to balance out that workout and support that would be more hip-dominant. So that would be more hamstring and glute-focused. Now, for some people, that might be it for their lower body. And then the rest of the workout would be uh, push-and-pull focus with the upper body and and, and, and sort of core-dominated um Again, because the role that the upper body plays in cycling performance and our position on the bike, and how it helps stabilize the pelvis to help drive power into the pedals. Yeah, and that often, and I think that message often gets lost. You know, the people don't see the upper body as being important. And the goal, I mean, and obviously we want to be strong, not big. So, you know, we're not doing tons and tons of reps and trying to get beach beach muscles <laughs> for the upper body. Yeah, depending on if someone's quite advanced with strength training and they've been strength training, you know, good, a good amount of training years, you know, in their belt, then they might be able to get away with that third exercise or that third exercise might be either just a general strength um, exercise, or it might be a little bit more power-based, so a little bit more explosive, like box jumps as an, as an example to really work on that kind of um, ability, you know, to produce power. Yeah. But again, that's, that's, that's individual dependent because someone might have a hell of a lot of, of training like a high training age from an endurance standpoint um you know they've been running for years or they've been cycling for years especially if they're a massive athlete but they've got a very very young training age as from a from a gym aspect yeah. so if a master's athlete as an example is now just thinking do you know what i've been thinking about it for years i've no, uh, you know i've I know I should be doing it, but I've kind of avoided it because just never been taught, you know, a bit worried. Will they injure themselves? Will they do or not? Well, then do the least. Like, two exercises would be enough. Like, one quad focus exercise, one exercise on the hamstrings and glutes, two to three sets, you know, to begin with, if they're very new, stay eight to ten, you know, do two sets, eight to ten reps. Because it's a very safe range to work in from a rep, from a rep range perspective, and um, we don't need to be on the lower rep range of where what would be classed as maximal strength and, and lifting real heavy loads. You're still going to get stronger, and I think that's a, like, and if you're a masters athlete having never done any amount of strength training um, for a while, we know that there's potentially going to be some muscle loss there because you all you've done is endurance training for a long long time. Um, that will help offset some muscle wastage, but endurance sport by nature is, a, is muscle wasting. Like it's, it's catabolic to muscle, unfortunately. So okay. Um, so we so being in that rep range there would probably be you know advantageous to help produce, you know, building a tiny bit of functional muscle that's going to help them be stronger through the legs and you know and a little bit more powerful, so they can, you know perform better, you know, when they're on the training ride with with, with the lads or, or, or girls, you know, and I think irrespective of anyone, if even if you don't compete, if you're involved in sport in some kind of way, you've still got a bit of competitiveness. You've got a competitive nature. Like you might want to sprint for the signs or to the coffee shop or wherever it may be. You don't, you know, it, it sucks to be dropped on the hill, on the first hill of the day, every single group ride you go on. And, right. You know, or you want to you know, it's nice to do a couple of turns on the front. So it's a good, irrespective of who you you are, what level you ride at, how old you are. It's nice to feel strong on that ride because it's a massive confidence boost. Sure. And that's, you know, and, and that's what it's going to give you. Like, it's just going to lend itself to that.
0: Great. All right, well, that helps. Let me ask you a kind of a related question. And this, this sort of, I'm going to ask about, rep ranges and you, yeah, you yeah, mentioned yeah, yeah. it a little bit already and, and it kind of comes from i'll speak from my own experience yeah. the older i got the more i worried about some catastrophic mm. type of injury uh, you know big heavy free weights yeah, are yeah. really quite scary there's definitely a potential for doing something wrong mm. and then having a life changing for the worse experience Yep. And so I have tended to orient myself toward machines,
1: okay Yeah,
0: you know, that had sort of defined ranges of motion that would okay. keep me from, you know, killing myself or damaging myself for <laughs> life. <laughs> and, yeah, yeah. and also, <laughs> I would tend to not ever lift as heavy as I possibly could. I would yep. I would err on the side of lifting less, but going to more reps. But I would still go to failure. I just would do more reps. Okay. Now, what I don't know is, you know, is there an effect on recovery that way? Is doing more reps mean I need more recovery? Is it going to give me the same kind of benefit? Anyway, so what are your thoughts about, you know, the lower rep, higher weight versus higher rep, lower weight for the older athlete? So,
1: depending on your rep range and how heavy you're lifting, so the lo- if it's a little bit lower in reps and, and a bit in high, higher weight, you, you're causing um, more mechanical damage, more mechanical stress to the muscle. If you choose to lift, if you choose to go in a, in a bigger rep range, and, and especially if you're going to failure with that, you, you caught you. you Causing what's known more as metabolic stress, more me- metabolic damage, and that's what—that's why bodybuilders tend to do those higher rep ranges because they want to cause lots of me- metabolic stress to the to the to the muscle tissue to help you know the the muscle tissue um, repair and grow. So there's a potential. So there's a there's a potential there if you if you err on um, try, especially if you're trying to go to failure with those high rep ranges, that you might cause a bit too much. Um, soreness or damage there—that's ha- a little bit harder to recover from from a from a performance aspect. Like it might take okay. a little bit longer for recovery, okay. um, especially if depending on what the, your diet is like around that, with protein intake and carbohydrates and, and sleep and hydration and all the other good yeah. cool stuff that, that aids yeah. performance.
0: Yeah, I have some questions for you on that, but let's come back to that.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. But so, but in terms of using machines, I'm like I'm not against it especially when, like, if someone's new to training, machines are amazing because we have, when, if, you know, if we can get someone good, like, getting good at lifting is a skill and and takes time. Endurance athletes don't lift often enough to get good quick, to get good very, very quickly. You know, if we're in the gym once or twice a week, whether it's at the gym or lifting at home with some with some with some kit, it's going to take a little bit longer to get good at the skill of lifting compared to if someone if you if you and your friend started at the same time, but they chose to lift four or five days a week and you were only lifting two because of your cycling or your running. Sure. So the key there then is that we don't always want to be rotating exercises around and like thinking. You know, you get bored or on bored of that. Like, like, I want to do something new every single every single time I, I, I go to exercise, because then every single time you go to choose and you exercise, you're rub- like you're not rubbish at the exercise, but you're less skilled at doing that exercise, so it's harder to get a, get good at it. So we want to kind of, if you choose to do a squat as an example, or like a goblet squat, whatever it may be, we want to keep you trying to do that exercise for a good period of time because the better you get this skill of lifting one you'll end up being able to lift a little bit heavier loads but you'll get better at how you apply force through the ground as an example as well so and that's what's key you know so you get better at the intent of lifting so because it's the intent behind the exercise that helps drive the adaptation to that force and power and strength because you know because it's going to teach you then how you apply that force through the pedals if you can if you can um, get better at how you drive that force into the ground through your feet in you know so but machines are great because if you're practicing the skill of lifting as in like if you're not very good at squatting as an example and I think if you were to speak to anyone on the anyone on the street I could probably edge my bets on if you were to say what's the best thing to to build big strong legs yeah I would put my house on it that most people would probably say squats. Go in and sure. do squats because it's just—it's a known exercise. It is a good exercise, but it's not right for everyone. Now, if you're rubbish at squats, your capacity to lift heavy with a barbell back squat, as an example, isn't going to be very, um, very big. You're not—you aren't lifting a hell of a lot of big load. Nor should you be if you if you're not very skilled and you're new to training. However, we could potentially practice the skill of squatting. There's maybe warm-up drills or other aspects of an, exor- of, the, of an exercise, but we could put you onto a leg press. The leg press provides a, le- um, a hell of a lot of external stability. You are locked into the seat. You are not yeah. moving. Like, it's hard to get wrong. You know, you need you would need to really royally mess mess up uh, in, in a polite term <laughs> um, yeah. to to get it, you know to get it wrong. So you're locked in. You're not having to use your core. You're not having to um, use your body's internal stability to do the exercise, which you need to do with free weights. So the yeah. machine there allows you to just go cool. Let's drive a lot of intent into this exercise to get strong, to get powerful. So yeah. it's a huge or it's a great starting point for. Or if you're worried as a again, if you've been training a long time, but again you're in the position as as, you, as yourself and you're like. I just feel safer on now because I'm a little bit older as a massive athlete. I feel safer on the machines awesome, because it's, it's going to provide a lot of safety. It's going to provide a lot of external stability to you and it's going to help you still drive intent to get stronger. I would say probably don't go any lower than four reps. Six would be a good safe range. You're still going to get strong. You're still going to get, you're still going to get strong, but it's a safer range to stick with. You don't need to be on those like real low single digit.
0: Outrageous. Well that sounds good and and but it sounds like the machines we using the machines we miss out on some of the benefit of the squatting as an example, the skill of which would be the the neuromuscular aspect of it in learning how to not just you know extend the leg as yeah. I'm trying yeah. to move the weight up but also to stabilize. And, and not rotate in in ways that you know I don't want to, and so perhaps that needs to be augmented. If I'm going to use a machine like a like a uh, a leg press instead yeah. of squatting, maybe I ought to do some sort of like single leg body weight squats or something to augment that to get the more full rounded benefit. What, what do you think?
1: Yeah, yeah, one hundred percent. Yeah, so it's like you could use. I mean, we squat every every day, don't we? You know, we sit down up and down off of chairs, off the toilet seat, everything. You know, so yeah. squatting should, you know, it's probably still quite important to try to. Do. I'm not saying that you have to be doing it and be great at it, and you have to be able to lift a lot of weights. Cool, um, because there's a ton of other maybe single leg exercises that we could do, such as like split squats. Are one of my favorite, and split squats mm-hmm. would be always in my own program in some kind of variation and it will always yeah. be in a client's program in some kind of vari- variation because they have such a ton of benefit from being um, their single leg That they're, they're probably you know we want to be doing split squats before we're doing things like lunges where they're more dynamic and there's more stability and balance required yeah a split squat because they're single leg, but we've got both feet on the ground. It's a class as a single leg exercise, but both feet are on the ground, so we can get better at that. You know, having balance and stability, which can lend itself to, you know, quality of life. Um, yeah. We can load. We can load it in a variety of ways to suit the individual. Um, we can advance it between front foot elevated, rear foot elevated. We can load them with dumbbell, you know. We can play around with foot positionings and, and different things to to really, you know, to to help an individual of any age, young, middle, or old, get a ton out of it, you know. And then again, if 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 someone struggles with their balance initially, cool. Well, let's increase their base of support. Like, let's hold on to something on the side, like a wall or a bench beside of us, or if you're at home, get the um, get a broom handle and hold the broom handle out in front of you because again, it, it it gives you like a then like a bit of a tripod a tripod of balance sure. to increase that external base of support so that you you haven't got that wobble. But over time, your legs will get stronger, your balance will get better, especially as a master. I think that's going to be massively important, um, and you're not going to need like the broom pole to to help you you balance, and that will improve you then in terms of your leg strength for the bike but your balance and leg strength just for everyday life and, and what you're doing so
0: great okay well that's good appreciate that uh the next question then is how much time how often should i do my uh, resistance training my strength training you know of course the what well, we've already talked about how we we don't want to go so hard that we're sore and we yeah. can't do other things but if we're careful to not go too hard, so that we're not sore, well, then presumably we don't want to, you know, lift only once every, you know, fourteen days. No, um, no. So you know, there's there's some sweet spot in there. You know, what I have always tried to do personally is get in. You know, my aim is for three days a week to yeah. try to get uh, resistance training, and you know, for for everything that I do, you know, if I'm and for my own practice, I tend to do everything. I do upper and lower body on the same day. Cool. Um, and I'm only, and I am only doing it for an hour, you know, so I'm yeah, not yeah, like yeah. killing myself at the gym, but I then will take a day off in between. And then one day a week, of course I'm, you know, cause there's seven days in a week. And only if I'm only yep. working out three, then I take two days off once a week. Yep. But I've always sort of felt like if I took more than that off, I would, really start losing some of the benefit, but I don't really know that. I mean, what, what do you think? I mean, could people work out one day a week and be okay getting some of this benefit? One hundred percent. Yeah.
1: So I three would be the maximum anyone if like, if they've just, if they've got the time to do it, you know, um, thing you can, you could fit in three. I would, for most people, the only time they're ever going to fit in three is re- like really early in an off season, really early in that winter training period, where their volume and entire, their their volume and frequency on the bike is probably going to be backed off a little bit because they've took a little bit of a break, you know, at the end of the towards the end of the year, they're just getting back into the riding again and and building up that kind of that, that base, those base miles and and getting back into riding again. For the most part, I only tried to get people doing uh, training twice a week. Okay. And that would be mostly through, you know, if it's an athlete and they're, com- and they're a competitive athlete, then that would op- that's obviously going to be in most of their off-season time. Um,
0: and doing be- it twice yeah. a week, they're getting like three and four days between... Yeah,
1: so that would be, like, as an example, like Monday, Thursday, or Tuesday, Friday is perfect because then it doesn't okay. affect the weekend. Most you know, most people capitalise on the weekend being off from work or off, or the time that's better to get longer miles in. Obviously, if you're a full-time athlete, you're getting big miles in anyway, irrespective. But yeah. you know, if you're someone that even rides competitively, you know, as a junior, you know, age age category or or masters athlete you know most people are still working so they capitalize on the weekends to get their longest sure. thing at the weekends so and then that then allows for enough recovery in between those two sessions to fit in their riding or running in and around that and obviously then it doesn't it doesn't take up too much time to so it doesn't affect their sessions either now some of those days might have to be doubled up depending on the individual so they might do like a strength ses- session in the morning then might be a run or a turbo session in the evening, as a, like a late, like four to six hours later in the day, as, a, as an example. Okay. Um, and you want to capitalise on that as much as possible. So where possible to get those two in, get those two in. When volume of endurance training or competition is heightened, then we want to reduce that down to once a week. I mean, and that's just going to then just keep maintain. And in that period, then we're just in a, a massive maintenance phase. So we're not trying to focus on you getting stronger. If you're if you're new to strength training, you will continue to get stronger because you're in that kind of new phase. You get a lot of neurological um response to strength training, so you naturally just get you just see this kind of um like linear curve going upwards of, of strength. But the longer we strength train for, if you've got a high training age, it's harder to get stronger quicker. So
0: sure but you're we saying we shouldn't ever stop strength training throughout the season.
1: No, no. So if so, we have um, we have what's known as training residuals. So like the I think everyone's heard of like detraining. If you take a certain sure. amount of time off, you know, and after a certain amount of days, you'll keep your fitness for so long before it starts dropping off the face of the earth. So if you're a well-trained athlete. Strength or in, or endurance, you've got pretty much like twenty five to thirty days before it starts really dropping off the like, you know, dropping off the face of the earth with your with your fitness or your, or your strength if you're a well trained athlete. So most endurance athletes are well trained endurance, but not well trained strength. Yeah. So we can start losing our strength like as quickly, you know. So most athletes fall into the trap of only strength training in the winter. We get to February, March, stop for the whole year because the priority is riding. With a thought process of the winter training is going to get me stronger for the season or the the following year. Unfortunately, we don't get to keep things for eight months of the year. You know, if we didn't ride our bike or if we didn't run for eight months, how fit would we we be at the end of that eight months? We just wouldn't be fit. And it's the same for strength. So we want to maintain it once every seven to 10 days as best as possible. If that's not feasible for whatever reason, whether it's because you're a competitive athlete and you've got like a bit of a chunk of racing happening, um, or you've gone away with the family on holiday work, whatever. It's like, just get it back in at the earliest opportunity. Okay. Let's try not leave it longer than a month essentially. So
0: yeah. Yeah. All right. Good. So, um, thank you for that. I'm going to take away from that, that I don't need to be as uh panicked as I have been of not, not wanting to take more than a couple of days off at a time. I've got more no, of my no, way no. there.
1: No, you're good. You know, like good. I
0: say. Excellent. All right. So let's talk about nutrition. Yeah. And by that, I'm, I mean, more than just protein, but like other things that we could do that, you know, you could get from food, you could supplement. Yeah. What do you think is important from a nutritional point of view for a, For a cyclist, an older cyclist or endurance athlete who is now adding strength training to their routine, what should they be sure to do in their diet?
1: Cool. Well, I think it. I think across the board. I we'll we'll get to the to the masters bit first, but I think across the board in terms because you might have some younger athletes listening to your podcast too that endurance athletes. Do tend to just under eating protein because we know that we need carbohydrates to fuel energy and it's our, yeah. you know, the primary energy source that we need. You know, especially when we're doing a lot of longer rides or a lot of intense rides. Um, so, I an mean, increase in protein is always going to have a positive effect with with riders of all ages because it's going to help them improve recovery and it's going to help retention of muscle. You know, the deeper we get into rides, like I mentioned before, you know, endurance riding is catabolic. Hence, yes. why some endurance, endurance energy, like the um, sports nutrition companies, you know, who provide gels and drinks and whatnot, have some of them have started doing like protein shots, like protein gels, you know, things yeah. like that that riders can take so that they can, so that they're getting some protein. Or you might find like Cliff Bars uh, as an example. Sure. You know, per that per that bar. You know, there might be, you know, there's 40 grams of carbohydrates, but there might be like eight to 10 grams of protein from the mix up of the yeah. some and the bits and the makeup of the bar as well. Because a lot of companies have started cutting on to the fact that we, we want a small, do- a very small dose of protein as part of that nutrition that's trickling through. So, um, but with Masters athletes in particular, the unfortunate part of getting older apart from the that we lose muscle which i touched on earlier is that right. we don't absorb protein as well as we did do when we were younger huh. so a master's athlete actually needs more protein than a younger athlete yeah to help
0: now, the and athlete. how much is there like an amount that uh, so, people should target
1: yeah so the minimum threshold really i i much I prefer endurance athletes to be 1.6 grams per kilo of body weight um and okay. ki, um, kilograms of body weight um some literature out there says you know endurance athletes should be as low as 1.2 I'm not necessarily a fan of it but I would say if you can get away with it 1.6 to 2 max you know some some endurance some endurance athletes and even mass athletes especially if they're doing a ton of volume and Hell of a lot of endurance, like you know, massive hours a week because they've got the time for it, and especially if they're competitive, they're burning a lot of calories. So if they've got a big volume of calories coming in, they could afford to be upwards of that higher end, like that higher threshold of, of, of two grams of protein per you know per kilo per kilo. And when you mean um, when
0: you say afford it, th- they could eat that without feeling like they're going to put on weight.
1: Yeah, and the, it's not taken away from their carbohydrate intake. It's oh, okay. not, you know. It, it's we're not so. The danger is we don't want to just go. Okay, well, I need to eat higher, and then we're sacrificing carbohydrates as an, as an example. So we might want to look at the diet as a whole. Okay, how can we how can we increase it? Um, and we want to try and get that in as much from actual protein sources, like lean protein sources. You know. So as an example, say you needed to eat 100 grams of protein per day. Well, I would want to try and get at least 70 to 80 grams of that from actual protein sources, like, you know, chicken, protein powders, fish, you know, eggs, wherever it may be. Um, you know, if it's if, you, if you're a plant-based athlete, then, you know, particular, you know, um, tofu and, 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 and other bits and pieces. And yeah. then we obviously are going to be eating things like rice, pasta, bread, porridge oats as an uh, uh, you know, for examples, maybe like, you know, plant-based might be eating lentils as as an example or beans. Um, well, they're all carbohydrate sources that contain protein. Okay. So those trace amounts will bump us up to the, to the right amount. The danger that a lot of people fall into, but we'll, well I eat protein because they're eating carbohydrates, lentils, beans, um, porridge oats, whatever it may be, bread, pasta. And they're like, oh well, look, I've got, I've, I've got protein in my diet. I'm like, no, 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 that's just carbohydrate sources that are fortunate enough to, you know, have some protein in your diet. So, from a, from a health, you know, recommended daily amount for just general health and living, yeah, you're probably meeting your quota, but you're missing a lot of valuable amino acids that are in chicken, beef, you know, poultry, you know, poultry, beef, fish. You know red meats, whatever it may be, um, and yeah. some of the plant-based sources. You know, pea, you know, pea protein, soy protein, things like that. You know, and and if someone's a plant-based rider, you know, more veget- vegetarian-based or vegan-based, then they are going to they are going to need to supplement their diet more with protein powders or amino acids to bump that up to get that quota. You know, it's yeah. a little bit. It's not impossible, just a little bit harder.
0: Yeah, and I've I've done it myself, so I I know how much harder it can be, and had to give it up. It just was it was too much to try to yeah. supplement a plant based diet with plant based protein powders and just try to get enough. Mm. But it, yes, but still possible. And and I guess the just to throw a couple of things out there, you can comment on it is that you know we and if you're going to get you know one point six to two, what did you say, grams per kilogram? Yep. Yep. Uh, then you don't want to get that all in one meal, you know, no, I mean, no, no, you no, spread that no, out during the day. And there's like some yeah. minimum amount that you should have, like at each meal, because you're looking for some minimum threshold amount of leucine, which is one of the amino acids,
1: which yeah, is a yeah, signal
0: yeah. to your body. So anyway, I mean, people don't have to become scientists to do this. They Just, oh, it's, they just get protein throughout the day yeah, and yeah, try I to get, it. yeah, go ahead.
1: If you, yeah, so the, the biggest advice I give is if you can try to eat four times a day, you know, and as an example, that would, and this is just a base around a protein to meal to get people to allow people to get their protein feeding in. However, from an endurance athlete standpoint as well, what there's another benefit to this four meals a day aspect, you know, as an ex- as a vast example, 8 a.m., midday, 4 p.m., 8 p.m. are the times we're eating, you know. Within a rough time, you know, in and around, give or take 30 minutes or an hour, either side of those, depending, yeah. depending on when your meal times are. If you were to go, okay, I'm having breakfast, I'm having lunch, I'm having a mid afternoon snack, and I'm having my dinner, and I'm going to focus on making sure there's a protein source there, which, whatever it may be, you're going to be within a good ballpark range of meeting your daily quota. Like, you're not going to be far wrong without trying to be very, anal about it and do all the math and, and and whatnot and figure out am i getting enough you know if, if you've got a you know if you've got a chicken breast there or whatever it may be you know whatever your plant your, your dietary preferences are you you're going to be you're going to be good you're going to be that being too um but then if you're eating like that as again like i say that four meals you're covering your bases in irrespective of what time you train if you get up, you know, if you're someone that trains really early, before breakfast, you might want to just have a quick glass of orange juice or a, a bagel and jam. Something that's very easy to digest, handful of Haribo even, you know, just to get, give you some, because you don't want to do every training session fasted. But yeah. then if you're someone that maybe trains mid-morning, or if you're someone that trains mid-afternoon, or if you're someone that trains in the evening before dinner, because it depends on how your days are... You know around work or wherever it may be and, and how you like to train or if you're doing double days you are always eating training eating so you're fueling training recovering so irrespective of the time of day you train you've always supported your training window with some fuel and some recovery so it helps apply some structure to someone's day just by restructuring that um and they'll feel a hell of a better for it they'll have more energy they'll recover better and they'll get more out of their sessions rather than how often i mean how many people have you spoken to that train in the evening before dinner but their last meal was at midday for lunch like yeah. so they've gone like five they've gone like six hours be- before you know they're starving so
0: yeah Well, I do want to touch on recovery and we're going to run out of time, so we're going to have to be brief, but uh, before we get into that topic and then get into uh, what's going to have to be a fast dive into uh, glutes, I wanted to ask about what else, what other things could people do? I mean, you hear about collagen, you know, people are taking collagen supplements. When you look at what's in collagen supplements, what it is, it's mostly the same stuff that's in whey, except for a couple of other things, which I think maybe is what is really the collagen, but then I've also heard that people should uh, supplement with glycine, Uh, and so this is like this recovery of these soft tissues, and then creatine of course is the old school bodybuilder thing, but I've understood that that has some like neurological health benefits as well, and so what do you think? What, What things besides just making sure you get enough protein from a nutrition point of view and getting enough energy throughout the day would be important for the older athlete adding strength training to their regimen.
1: I think for, for the most part, in terms of recovery, like just, I don't wanna kind of brush it up, but it's a kind of like make it sound too simple, but do the basics really well. Like go to bed on time, get enough sleep. Like try and get seven to nine hours if you can, you know, stop trying to think you're, you're okay on five to six hours, even if you're busy. Drink enough fluids. Like, make sure you are putting away three to four liters a day. If you're an athlete, if, you know, if you're an athlete and you're training, like, if you're training, like, I don't care if you're not a competitive athlete person. Um, to me, you're an athlete. You're training. You're trying to train. You're trying to better yourself. Drink enough yeah. fluids. Treat yourself like an athlete. Treat yourself. You know, um, eat appropriately. Eat enough carbohydrates. Eat enough vegetables. Get enough. Like, in every meal you have, include a source of protein. Include a source of fruits or veggies, get your carbs on, I and mean, like yep. you're not going to go far wrong with, with how you're meeting your nutritional needs. And then from there, yeah, okay, like what are the nice to have potentially? Okay, creatine can help and um, improve strength and power, it can help with a bit of recovery. Yes, you might be a couple of pounds heavier depending on how you respond because creatine um, is stored within the muscle cells. It, you know but with water, so you'll hold on to a little bit more water in the muscle cell, so you might be yeah. a pound or two heavier. Is it really a deal breaker? Maybe not. Yes, you get the new, neurological bits. Um, magnesium is probably a good one to help, um, help in a little bit of recovery. And you could use like magnesium biglycinate, which has the glycine amino attached to it. Okay, um, you could argue that the biglycinate. You don't get enough glycine in the magnesium, as what you should be sep- if you were to supplement with glycine separately. Yeah. But it's a nice to have. They're nice to have. Like it's a nice to have if you're not yeah. if you're not getting your big if you're not nailing the big rocks with your nutrition, your sleep, and your hydration. Yeah, I get that, it. You know, you're, you're spinning the wheels.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, that's good. And I'm looking at the clock here. Okay. Yeah. So I think we're going to have to jump into talking about the glutes here before no, we're no, just been, yeah. totally out of time. So let's talk about glutes. The The problem that many cyclists have is they're not using their glutes yeah. when they're pedaling their bicycle. And so they're missing out on one of the largest sources of power. It, it also has an, a knock-on effect, I think, on like posture mm-hmm. uh, and back health and things yeah. like that. So let's give us your thoughts about how do you get your glutes working right? And and I think that we ought to be thinking in terms of the, the cyclist who's maybe their posture is such that they're predisposed to not using their glutes because yeah, yeah, of yeah. how their body, you know, their body is used to sitting in a chair or sitting on a bike and yeah, instead yeah. of being a normal functioning human being. And so there's, there's going to be a progression over time of relearning how to be just a normal functioning human being before yeah. then becoming a, having a strong glute yep. for yep. pedaling a bicycle. Tell us what you think.
1: No, no, no. Um, I think you've hit the nail on the head there in terms of um, body posture and position. It's, I would say most most cyclists if the cyclists, if their glutes aren't as strong as they could be, what it, be down, what it will probably mainly be down to is one, they're not strength training, but two is cycling, as we know, is a very f- f- fixed seated position. Yeah. Then we get off the bike, we do nothing but sit at our desks at work or we sit driving or we're sat on the sofa in the evening watching TV. Right. What that does, it, we, so we shorten through the hip flexors It, and it, or, and it, and it dumps our pelvis a, a, a bit too far forward. So we're stuck in this anterior tilt. Where the, the pelvis is, 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 and we all have, a, you know, there should be some level of anterior tilt. You know, we have that little bit of lord and um, curved lower back that should be there. But for some, it's a bit excessive, and we're fixed in that position. And the riders haven't got control of their pelvis to bring to bring it back into neutral. You know, mm-hmm. to rotate it posteriorly to bring it into neutral or to bring it into like posteriorly. And if the if the if the pelvis is dumped too far forward anteriorly we can we don't the glutes struggle to express strength properly so if we're living there too much we're not get we're not getting as good use from our glutes as, as we should be
0: yeah what do we do
1: we want to try and unlock that pelvis essentially so we want to try and get better control of that pelvis you know it could be as simple as to begin with being stood up trying to physically rock like tuck the, pel- tuck the bum underneath us, you know, tuck the pelvis under it and flatten that curve of the back. If we do that, we can do it stood up. We can do it. A very good one to teach people this. Um, and again, from a weight training standpoint for masses athletes is teaching people and um, getting people to um, do exercises lying on the floor. And we'll do it in, in the hook, what's what's known as the hook lying position. So we so we lie on our backs with our knees bent and feet flat on the floor.
0: Okay.
1: When we're there, what we want to do is teach the individual how to flatten out that back, to rock the pelvis back so the so we haven't got so we sh- when we're lying down, so when we're on our backs, feet flat on the floor, knees, knees, knees bent, we shouldn't be able to then jam our hands under our lower backs and through. There shouldn't be a nice low curve. And you'll find how much how much is my pelvis in that anterior tilt by how much of a curve is there naturally when we're lying there. Mm-hmm. So we want to teach them to bring that back and activate. And that helps them, one, activate the core, too. <laughs> It'll teach them to, to, to brace the, the core, which is important. And it will help bring the pelvis back into more of a neutral position and keep it there.
0: And so they can learn to feel what it feels like for well, the pelvis to not be rotated forward.
1: Yeah. And you can do that via your feet flat on the floor. You could maybe do that with uh, your feet against the wall, as an example. So you're in that kind of 90-90 positions, like in that, you know, your legs are at a 90-degree angle. Yeah. You're lying flat on your back, feet are against the wall. As your feet are on the wall, push against. But try and drag your heels down without you without your feet moving. So your feet are static. You're putting force into the wall. And then you're trying to bring your heels down, but your feet don't move. You should feel what should happen there is your pelvis should come back into neutral. Your back should your lower back should flatten out into the ground. So you want to be pressing into the floor. We should feel your glutes engage at the same time. So you should feel your glutes and your hamstring engage at the same time and co-contract, at the, you know, and get used to that feeling of, oh, they're working. We we switched.
0: Like, All right, that's it, what my glutes feel like.
1: Yeah, you, you know, yeah, that's, oh, good, they're working. That's what they, you know, and it's not that your glutes aren't switched off because if your glutes are switched off, because it's such a term that gets bounced around, um you would clap. If, as soon as you stood up, you would collapse and fall down, <laughs> you know? So they do okay. do their, They are doing their job, but they're just not because if your pelvis is in that dumped forward position too much, they're not doing their job as best as they probably could be. And that's okay. the danger that a lot of cyclists fall far off because of excessively tight hips. So yeah. we want to get them teaching to unlock. We might want to do, um, the couch stretch. So the, um, a hip flexor stretch where you're in the kind of the half kneeling position and we place our foot on the back of the couch, as an example, and um, hence why it's known as the couch stretch and try and lengthen through and stretch through those, through the quads, through the hips. And again, if oh, people yeah. are suffering with a lot of back pain, that's why.
0: Oh, I'll tell you that that one for me, cause I, I tend to have tight quads. That stretch is, is shockingly painful. And and it took me a long time to get where I could actually do it properly because I was so tight through my quads.
1: It's and it's learning. So you just want to and it's like exactly I'm the same. Like I am and I'm terrible for remembering to do it as well. Um, I'm I'm definitely a do as I say not as I do kind of person. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But you you need to try and relax and breathe into it and learn to allow the body and and the the amount of muscle to the amount of tone that you've created and tension allow your body to relax and shut off. And that's hard. You know? And I think because yeah. we're all wired with stress all sure. the time. So.
0: But also I think it's just from my personal experience, you just got to give it time. You know, you can't, you're not going to get it to where you're perfectly f- flexible in that way. In a couple of days, it's going to be a long time. And every little day, You'll get a little bit better, yeah, and it'll yeah. take a, many days to where you actually feel like, Oh, I can do this.
1: What, what, what are we, we are a nation of people that are, that are incredibly impatient, we yeah. want everything yesterday, and that is and that, so you've hit the nail on the head like, just the hardest thing with anything with your training, with your, with your approach to your nutrition, to trying out strength training for the first time, trying to improve on your flexibility, give it time. Because I guarantee yeah. that if you're able to commit to it, and you yeah. commit to the small little steps, eventually you'll, you'll you'll get to where you want to be. It's just learn to be patient and learn to be consistent with your efforts.
0: Yeah. All right. So we're going to end with some simple rules like that one. But before we go, I, I wanted to wrap up the glute thing with like one best exercise that people could do and if it if it was me i would say it would be a split squat but what do you think would be the one thing that people could do where they could just really concentrate on using their glutes as a way of getting better at using their glutes on the bike
1: learn how to effectively hip hinge how to to flex from the hips so not just bend over from the back how to you know so the the I would say for me, the biggest hamstring and glute builder for strength and everything is going to be the Romanian deadlift.
0: Okay. So tell uh, us how we do that.
1: So to learn how to hip hinge properly, you need to start with a exercise known as the waiter's bow. So, you know, it's called the waiter's bow because you think of, you know, the waiter's being very sort of courteous at the at the table, yes. sort of the, the, the position they adopt. So- Get your broom handle at home so get your your broom the long shank of the the broom place that down the center of your spine so you want three points of contact back of your head so you're gonna so you're gonna hold it with one one hand behind your head one hat one hand behind your lower of your back and the broom handle is going to touch the back of your head your upper back and your lower back okay and at any point when you hinge forward, the broom is not to leave any of those three points. So the, uh, if it is, you're not bending, you, you're not keeping that spine in a neutral position. So when you're stood, feet hip width apart, what you're going to do is break at the hips. So you're not, and you're trying to push the hips backwards. You're trying to, so if you imagine if you were stood in front of a wall, what you would want to be doing is trying to touch the wall with your bum okay you want to push your bum backwards that's going to allow your body to fall forward so your your so your torso is naturally then going to fall forward as a consequence under control you're not going to collapse into it and your hips are going to go backwards in a vertical line um your knees will flex and bend because they have to because the knee is a little bit of a hinge joint but your your shin bone your lower leg should stay vertical your thigh bone should look at a, at a more of a forty five degree angle. As an, um, so, if if I'm looking at you from the side and your are um, you're facing to the right, and I'm looking at you, your right hand side. I'm looking at your right hand side. Get try to try and build up a picture for people. If, if this isn't video, and um, I'm going to see that your right leg, your shin bone is vertical. The side of your right thigh is horizontally um, at a 45 degree angle to the left.
0: Because your hips pushed back.
1: Your hips pushed back to the left hand side behind,
0: uh,
1: behind you. And then your upper body is going to be in a horizontal, a 45 degree angle to the right.
0: So you go to- And so this is how come you don't fall over because the hips go back and as the upper body tips forward, but the upper body from the hips up is neutral because you've exactly. got that pole holding yeah. you. All right. That's great. That's great. And that, that, the ability to do that properly will set us up for being able to use our glutes well in our sports.
1: 100%. As you come through, it's, it's a hip dominant, it's a hip dominant. Dominant exercise and your glutes are the primary hip extender. So, as so, hip extension is essentially you stood up, <laughs> you know. So, to, to try not to get too technical. Um, so, when you come forward, so when you bend forward, that's hip flexion. Your glutes' primary work is to hip extend to bring you forward. So, in the running gait cycle, um, when you're on your bike, it's a hip extender. So, it wants to straighten out that leg, it wants to straighten out that body.
0: Great. Well, all right. So as a summary, then, as far as like principles, and I'm stealing this from something I heard you say before, so uh, I don't think you're going to have to correct me too much, but I'll, I'll let you wrap it up here. But I, the goals here, as we talk about endurance, master's athletes who are endurance athletes who want to incorporate strength training so yeah. that they can be better in their sport and healthier in their lives, the goals are to do that, to... Get those benefits, but also to not harm yourself. Yep. To not do too much so that you still are fresh enough to be able mm-hmm. to do your sport. Yep. And I think that the the rules based on what we said here today would be to keep it simple. Don't try to do too many different things or complicated things. Yeah. Focus on doing a, a minimum effective dose. Yeah. And being patient. What did I miss?
1: I think you've hit the nail on the head. Yeah, like, you know, don't underestimate how little you can do and get a hell of a lot out of it, you know, and, and how much positive effect it, it will be. It doesn't need to be this exercise routine that has four, five, six, you know, leg exercises in. Get in, do two, make it one quad focus, one hamstring, glute focused, like a hip, like the RDL, like the weight is bow, or, uh, you know. Um do some body work because that's important, you know, and get in, get out, like, you know, 30 to 60 minutes.
0: Fantastic. You should
1: be able to get in an effective workout.
0: Perfect. Chris, how should people find you if they wanted to find out more information about you and what it is you do with your clients?
1: Uh, so the best place will be Instagram and my Instagram handle is combined athletic performance.
0: Excellent. Well, I'll put that in the show notes as well. Chris, thank you so much. This has been very helpful to me and I hope to our audience.
1: No, it's been amazing. Thank you. Yeah, thanks for having me.
0: All right. Have a great day. Take
1: care, mate. Thank you.
0: Thank you so much for listening in to my discussion with Chris Pedden on improving cycling endurance with strength training. You can find more information about Chris in the show notes. And while you're there, you can sign up to take a free fitness practices assessment, send us a question to address on the podcast. See all of our episodes, subscribe to our podcast, and you can sign up for our newsletter. If you are on social media and enjoyed this episode, please post about it. That'd be a great help. Thanks again.